Just going to remind you, uh, if we need to make more, we will, but out there on the uh, table or in the tray of different paperwork, things that's out there, um, we got this confession that we're trying to get into the habit. Oh, look here, I got big bucks for doing something good. Five dollars. But anyway, um, I don't know if you have yours with you, but if you do, what we've suggested is, if you will, where you can keep up with it is like tape it inside the, the cover of your Bible, if you can do that. Then you'll have it, and then we, uh, it just puts us in mind of what we're all doing. And it says, we are thankful that God's helping us add to the church daily such as should be saved. As, the, as we, the body of Christ, are moved with compassion, we daily share the good news of God's love with others outside of our sanctuary, which is a key, outside of our sanctuary, right? The, har- the harvest, your new banner right there, the harvest is outside, it's not inside. As we're saying, if you was going to go fishing, anybody likes fish? Anybody like to eat fish? There's more of us like to eat than... And, and, uh, but if you want to go fishing, generally you have to leave your living room or your bathtub because there's not any in there. But uh, um, So if you want to reach the lost and hurting people, then you need to go outside of the building to do it, right? This is not a bless me club. It's where we come and we learn and we're strengthened and we have fellowship. But uh, if you want to touch hurting humanity, they're, they're out there. And so it says, uh, so we're daily sharing the good news of God's love with others outside of our sanctuary. We will be obedient to the plan of God for our lives and allow Holy Spirit to direct our footsteps to, to those people who are ripe for harvest. Now, they won't have a sign on them that says, I'm ripe. Uh, I mean, even though I grew up in church <laughs> all my life, well, that may be another story too, but... Uh, I didn't have a sign on me that said ripe for harvest, but I'd been out of church for 10 years, even though I was raised in church and we went three, three times a week. But, but, uh, at about age 17 or 18, I was like a lot of teenagers who felt like they're coming to the fullness of all knowledge of all things. And then I didn't go back in church for 10 years. Uh, I didn't do the Easter thing. I was fully committed to being a renegade for 10 years. And it was just because of a really uh, a very uh, kind of a distant cousin, you know, I don't know, fourth cousin's pretty distant, and and she just kept coming around and kept coming around, and she would give us tapes uh, of her church service. Uh, be honest with you, I didn't listen to any of them because I wasn't interested. Um, you, you would think going to church all your life, but if you take you take out ten years, you'll develop other habits. And now, in in my mind, I was always going back. I, I knew I was. And in my mind, I always knew I was going to heaven, right? But uh, I was going to be busy this weekend. But we'll probably go the next. But then the next week it'll come up, and it wouldn't take much. It wouldn't take much of anything. I mean, it just had to look a little bit cloudy. You see what I'm saying? Or the kid looks like they might develop a sniffle. But I was always ready to do it, but never doing it. So... Uh, so God sent Miss Sylvia around my path, and we were really the same age. We went to high school together, but like I said, really distant family. But uh, and she had married a, uh, a friend of ours, so she would just come over and just bring food. And we lived here, and she lived in Centerville. And she would drive from her home. For those of you who ain't heard the story, but she'd drive two or three times a week and bring us food in the afternoon from Centerville. And she had a family of three. And uh, we didn't understand why she would do that. She said, well, I just, y'all are always on my mind. I just care about y'all. I just want to do something to bless you. And, uh, you know, the best way, you know, they say to a, to a man's heart is where? Right through the stomach. And that, that's probably true. And uh, so her husband was a deer hunter, so they always had a bunch of deer meat. But she'd bring over some really nice meals and, and uh me being a little bit of a sweet tooth, just a little bit. You know, she'd have chocolate cake or apple pie or something like that. And she did that for about a month, and she handed us more church tapes. 
she said, maybe you'd like to listen you know, to what pastor. And I said, oh, yeah, well, thanks. And I cassette tapes back then. I, she'd leave, and I said, you know, whatever, with chocolate cake. And we, yeah, well, we're going to read that all the way down to the last bite. The last, about a month later, uh, this is, if you've if you've ever been to sales, this is how you do it. It's, it's asking for the sale. And, uh, and she said, would, would you come to my church? Now, she had a plate of food, and I'm used to, you know, taking it and saying thank you. So I was like this, and she said, would you come to my church Sunday? Uh, I said, this, this, this Sunday? She said, yeah, yes, this Sunday, would you come to my church? I was like, uh, where, where, where is it at now? Maplesville? Oh, that's like 20 miles or so from my house. Do they have electricity over there? I mean, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's a nothing, you know, nothing little town if you've never been through there. If you think that's nothing, I used to live in Stanton. Anybody know where Stanton is? They get yesterday's electricity. So, uh, but we went there, and uh, it literally changed our life. There's a word of, word of faith pastor down there, which I didn't know what that was. And he was teaching about the power of the spoken word. Never knew what that meant. Grew up in Pentecostal church all my life. Was teaching about faith. Didn't really know nothing about that. I thought I did. I just thought it meant believing. What else could it mean? And so he was, he was really big on teaching confession and the spoken word and the, and the power of, of the spoken word. And I don't know what happened. But all I know is I was in church all my life, 10 years unchurched, a month of meals, chocolate cake, and two years later, I was sitting in Oklahoma at Bible school. And somehow I've been in ministry for 22 years. And I've always said, man, I don't know what she put in that chocolate cake. <laughs> I guess my point of that is, but see, I didn't have something on me that said I'm right for harvest. But I, apparently I was, you see. But she had to, she had to leave her comfort zone and so when our family walked in, the, so it was, she kind of went for the whole family, that small church, it, it grew by five families or 16 people in one week. Boom. And uh, so it's just, uh, and, and I didn't even, I didn't, he talked about a man in Oklahoma named Kenneth Hagin. I thought, who's, who's that? And, you know, I grew up in the Assembly of God world. I could tell you who Jimmy Swagger was or someone like that, but I, I didn't. I knew who Billy Graham was, of course. Everybody knows Billy Graham. But I didn't know any of these people. So it literally changed my life. And um, so this is what this is about, is that we are, we're workers together with God, and there's people who's ripe for harvest, and, and there's people who aren't ripe. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're coming, but they're not ready right now. But we just keep giving the same message, and we work with those who's ready to go right now. And you say, how do you know the difference? Well, I, you know, I, you, don't, you can't do this. I mean, just the analogy of uh, I always say going into the produce department and people's picking out a, a melon or a cantaloupe, they just, and I used to work on the farm. Where you, you give it the thump test. It has a sound to it, right? Now, you can't just go through the, you know, up to people and say, hey, how are you? You can't thump them in there. You ain't ready. <laughs> so can't do that now, right? But the point is some are ready now and some, some aren't. And uh, so we just want to uh, be about the Father's business. He said, according to the Word of God, when you do this, he said, the Word will increase and the number of disciples will be multiplied. As co-laborers with God, we confess His glory is manifested through us, not just in us. It's in us, but then it has to come through us. All right, so if you don't have that, it's, it's on the table in that little clear tray there. It's at the bottom. If we need to make some more, we will. Let me read you a story. It's not a joke. Well, it's kind of, it's a story. This is a pastoral search committee. Anyone who knows that is? If you grew up Baptist, you know what this is. Y'all know what a pastoral committee is? Search committee? It's when they have a pastor that they're not that happy with, so they send out a committee, right? And I guess they're called the pastoral search committee. And they, they go to other churches of that denomination usually, and they kind of sit in the service, unknown to who they are, what church they're from, to listen to someone else's pastor to see if they can persuade him to come to their church if they're interested. I, I try to find a way not to say steal. But anyway, 
and, and I guess that's how that works. So it says, uh, after studying the pastoral qualifications in Timothy, the book of Timothy, uh, we do not have a good report to give. It says, we've been unable to find a, a suitable candidate for this church. Although we have one promising prospect left, we do appreciate, appreciate all the following suggestions from the church. We have followed up on each one with interviews and reference checks. The following is a confidential report on those which we have rejected for the following reasons. So this church has tried out many of them. We tried out Adam. He's a good man, but he has wife troubles. Wife's name's Eve. Said so Noah was a former pastor of 120 years, but he has no converts, problems with a bottle, and a wayward son, moral problems. Abraham has he's scandal ridden. He offered his wife to another man twice in child abuse. He took a, a knife against his son to offer him up. Joseph, he's a good guy, but he's a dreamer and he has a prison record. Moses seems to be a poor communicator. He stutters, unanswered murder charge. David has had an affair with his neighbor's wife, hired a hitman to kill the husband. Solomon uh, has a husband and more than one wife, in fact, 800. In fact, so the parsonage would be way too small. <laughs> Elijah, he's prone to depression and has nervous breakdowns occasionally. <laughs> Elisha reported to, have, to live with a single woman at a former church. Hosea, our congregation, could not handle his wife's occupation. She was a lady of the evening, anyway. Jeremiah, he's emotionally stable. He's an alarmist. He's negative. He's a lamenter. He's reported to have buried underwear on a foreign riverbank. <laughs> and he claims to have set a set of recreated originals. Anyway. Isaiah, he has language problems. He's on the fringe and he claims to see angels. Jonah refuses to preach to the lost unless forced by God. Amos, he's backward and unpolished. He does not like the rich. John does not dress like a Baptist. He's, he has a weird diet and he provokes higher powers. Peter, he's bad tempered, curses, hypocritical in racial matters. He's a loose cannon. Paul uses racial epitaphs and he preaches all night. <laughs> Timothy's too young and single. Jesus dwindled church of 5,000 down to 12 or 120. He offends folks every time he speaks. Judas, has re his references are solid. He has good connections. He knows how to handle money for, for compassion for poor. He's preaching for us Sunday. We think this is our man. <laughs> Judas Iscariot. Uh, we was... Uh, well, before Easter, the Sunday before Easter, we was, had about six points to some things. And our last point was about thinking, thinking beyond where you are. Part of that is using your imagination. In other words, here's where I am in life. Here's where I am in my goals. Here's where I am in the things that I want to do. We talked about thinking beyond that. In other words, being a person of vision. And when you do this and when you're out in the, uh, when you're out in the harvest with people who are ripe or unripe, and people that you work with sometimes, I want to say some things that will sound a little bit negative. And uh, maybe they are negative in one sense, but they're just, they're just reality. But uh, I, I want to just, uh, these aren't things I came up with. Uh, I, I was, uh, someone shared this with me years ago, and it seems to be uh, the way things are. And uh, so it's, these are called 10 people. Ten types of people, ten kinds of people that you can't help right now. Now, let me qualify that. It's not that they can't be helped. It's not that they're not worth helping. It's not that they can't change. But in their present condition, you can't help them right now. Now, do, did you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. We're not saying they're worthless. They're not worthless. They're valuable. But in their present condition, you can't help them. And um, so I, I just want to give you these things. There's, there's 10 things. So sometimes when you're doing this, you know, you, you, you feel, I don't know, I mean, with your working with people, and, and everybody should have people they're working with. I mean, we, you know, we're called to disciple people, be involved in people's lives. And so uh, if you do that and you do it often, then you're going to be working with people. You'll run around, you know, like John Maxwell said, there's at least four kinds of people. There's adders and subtractors and multipliers and dividers. 
There's people that you can add to their life and they add to you. And there's some people you're around, they subtract from you. And, the, and some people will divide, will divide you into every small pieces and uh, all kind of things. But <clears throat> anyway, t- 10 types of people, one more time that they're, they're valuable. It's possible they can be helped, but in their present state of mind and willingness, you can't help them. Jesus Christ probably could not help them. First person like this is sometimes someone who doesn't acknowledge they need help. They won't admit they have a problem. They don't, ever, they don't even see a problem. You can't help them. They're, this kind of person, they're living in denial. Sometimes you just need to get out of their way and let them fail. You don't think God's ever let anyone fail? Jonah. Most of the people on that list I just read. So, uh, did, did Jonah have to go by the way of the whale? No, he didn't do what God told him, and that's why he had a whale of a lot of problems. But anyway, number two, someone who believes, now watch here, here's someone you can't help. Someone who believes that you're their problem. Everyone in this room knows someone like that. They believe that you are their problem. Okay? They ever refuse help because you didn't like, they didn't like the person offering it. They ever refuse to listen to someone because of personal prejudice. If someone is seeing you as their problem, you cannot help them right now. And some of them don't mind telling you, it's your fault. I mean, this and this is because of you, not because of me. Okay? Someone, number three, someone who wants you to disobey God in, in this sense. They want you to go against God's will for you to help them. They're not going to say it that way, characterize it that way, but uh, that's what they're doing. They want you to help them, but you will hurt yourself in the process if you do it. Be careful that they will even try to make you feel guilty for not being a, a great Christian that you're supposed to be. I've got that a lot through the years. This one right here. You know, you need to do this, this, and this. And, you, and I said, I, I, I can't do that. And you said, you, said, you call yourself a Christian and a pastor on top of that? And it was always, generally it was financial stuff and they was wanting this. And, but you, the, the, they, were, they were never working and they wasn't going to work. And, you know, they, they, they said, well, the, you know, they, knew, they knew two or three verses in the Bible. In other words, if a man has two coats, you ought to give one. And, uh, and I had one tell me, he said, you know, we don't have a car, and you have two of them. They said, according to the word, you're supposed to give us one of your cars. And I said, well, this car has a mortgage on it, and I won't be giving that to you. One, I can't legally, and two, be honest with you, with your drug problem, and what's going to be in that car with my name on it? That will never happen. If I'm the worst Christian pastor in the world, that ain't ever going to happen. And so they left out the door, you know, with several ex- explicitives, you know, that did not need, you know, tongues that didn't need interpretation. <clears throat> so, uh, and I've had that a lot. Number four, someone who desires a different outcome than you. They only want the help that, help that they can choose. They want to determine the how and the when. They define the help. In other words, they said, this is help to me. Then they define what help is. In other words, they, they come to you for help. They come to you for help, but, but they define the help and how it should come to them. I'll, I'll put it plainer than that. They need all your time, all your energy, and all your resources. But they want to be in charge of their deliverance. It could be an addiction problem. They need all your resources, time, and help, but but they're going to tell you, you know, how to facilitate that help to them. You can't help them right now. Uh, The day will come, hopefully, that they can, but that ain't the day. Someone who refuses the scriptural solution to the problem. This is a gimme, but it's amazing how many... Women, I couldn't help because they were unwilling to do things God's way with uh, different women issues. Someone who expects you to make a greater investment in them than they're willing to invest in themselves. 
you're paying their rent, but they're unwilling to spend some time and energy to make a budget, stick to it, or even look for a job. In other words, someone you're trying to help, and you want more for them than they want for themselves. That, yeah. Number seven, they refuse to take the time to make the necessary changes in their life. Some of the problems we face are due to the bad habits in our lives. I love God's grace to be able to do what he asked me to do, yet what, God, yet what good is the grace if I don't step out into the change? A physical trainer can't help someone with weight problems if the person refuses to watch what they eat and physically exercise. Can I get an amen, Brother Ralph? He knows that he's, in, he's been training for quite a while, so he knows that is true. Number eight, someone who chooses destructive relationships over the help. They want your help, but they don't want to lose the person that's destroying their life. When they continually pick the relationship over the help, step back and let God open their eyes or remove the person, the smartest thing the guys on the boat with Jonah did was throw Jonah off the boat. Remember that? Jonah went to meet his destiny, and they were safe from the storm. Number nine, someone who leads others astray. They're a con artist. There's a difference between the needy, the seedy, and the greedy. They might not be professional con artists, but they can use deception for their personal gain. Yes. You can't help them right now. I know it sounds negative, but you understand what I'm saying? That'd be like you trying to sit down with your three-year-old who may one day take calculus, but you're going to drill it into them and they're going to get it tomorrow. No, no they're not. I mean, there might be one in the world somewhere, a few, but that's not, they're not going to get that, are they? I mean, this is not the month for it, <laughs> nor the year, if they're three. I mean, they're, you know, different ages have different things, different times. I mean, I noticed uh, Carter came over the other day and he was, I was, Washing some things outside. I was cleaning up my motorcycle. I'm getting it ready for sale. And I was chrome. I was doing the chrome. And he's at that age. And that boy asked me more questions. I couldn't even think about what I was thinking about. And he said, Papa did. Papa did. I said, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And he wouldn't know where through the questions. He said, what's that? 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 There was a lot of parts on a motorcycle. And, and I said, well, that's the, that's the radiator. Why? Why is it a radiator? I said, well, it just is. And he didn't like that answer. He wanted to know why it was a radiator. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, a lot of questions. Okay, someone who leads others astray. Yeah, car artist. All right, uh, the last one. Last person, kind of person that you can't help today. Someone who re uh, refuses to use their seed to create the future they desire. There, there is two problems here. They want your harvest, your outcomes, your anointing. And they want you to do all the work to get it. I can't mentor someone that just wants to live in my shadow. I, can, I can't help a group of people at a Bible study that, re, that refuses to study the word themselves. They have abilities, they have gifts, they have talents, even the money. But they don't want to use their resources. But they want to enjoy the fruit of the investment. I mean, you ladies know the time it takes to make a home-cooked meal. Right? I mean, it's good, right? And you know, you know it's good for you. Um, I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that taste good, but they're, maybe they're not that, nutritionally, they're not that good for us. And the things that they're, they're packed of and preservatives and sodium and all that. So it, it, but it takes a lot of time to, to make a meal from scratch. And then after that, you got all the dishes, right? And then I've always watched after the meals ate, everyone scatters. Because... You know, as young, young guys growing up, we were always told that ladies, ladies just love to cook, cook in the cool of the evening and have time to themselves. So we got out of, their, out of their way, out of the kitchen. But we had a timer in us when we knew it was time to eat. No, the, just kidding. Just kidding about that. But I'm just saying there's, it, it takes time to prepare something like this. And uh, they're not wanting to invest. You know, I've heard for years, and I understand it because I was that person. And because uh, I, never, I never liked to read. I couldn't stand it. I mean, it was, you know, I'd rather maybe peel a 
let you peel some fingernails off of it, and that's pretty bad. You know, I just like, oh, I don't want to read. When I knew I'd had a depth of call in my life, I didn't know which way it was going to go. The only thing I knew I wouldn't do was ever pastor. But when I knew I had a call in my life in the ministry, you know, I, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I thought, I bet you're going to have to read to do that. <laughs> At least every now and then, right? <laughs> So, you know, and I'm, I'm, 30, I'm 30 years of age at the time. You know, I've already been to school. I'm out in the workforce and, you know, worked to manage stores and, you know, and been in my own business. And then I thought, man, I'm starting life all over again. And so when I knew I was going to Bible school, I thought, man, I, school me didn't do too good the first time. Not because I couldn't. I just didn't want to. But now it's altogether different. It's like going to college. They don't care if you sleep. You can sleep all you want to. And uh, so I, it, it was just like a switch. It was a decision I made. I said, well, I guess I'm going to learn to love it, you know. And uh, so uh, and it, it, did, it didn't happen at first, but it's, it's one of my uh, most favorite things to do now is read. But, but it, it is. It's a passion. And, and I just, you know, some people say, well, what did you do on vacation? I said, oh, well, we went over there and done this, done that, you know. And, and I took me about three or four books, or I took my iPad, you know, got about 30, 40 books on it. They're like, yeah, but what did you do on your vacation? I said, that. <laughs> you know, I've already raised the kids. I, you know, I've already done the golf carts and all this, and I've done all that. You know, I've, I did all that. Four of them did, did all that. And I said, now, I just, I'm out on the balcony, you know, not on the beach, because you sweat if you go out there. Y'all ever notice that? You'll find me in the mountains more. But anyway, I'm just saying, that's... I've learned so much because what I've learned is you can, you can take an individual who spent 20, 30, 40 years of their life doing something that interests you and then a $10 to $15 book, which may take me a week, three days, or two weeks, or a month to read, whatever my time allows, I can in less than a month pretty much know what took them 20, 30 years to know. And someone said, do you think it's worth the money to buy that? So, I, I mean, I, I bought a book a couple of years ago by Peter Daniels, which is a billionaire from Australia. And it was used. And I paid $100 for it. And someone said, you paid what? I said, well, I bought it used. You ought to see the price new. They said, why would you buy a book for $100? You, you think it's worth it? I said, I don't know if the book is. I know I, know I am. I'm invested in me, man. I invested in the book. I think I'm worth $100. Y'all think y'all worth $100? So, you know, I probably can't get in to see Peter Daniels, but I don't have to. He told me his life story in that book. And so for $100, I just traded some things that has changed my life forever. So I, I learned to like to read because people who read, lead. People who don't, usually won't. Anyway, it's not real deep, but I mean, it's true. So, uh, he says they're coming to the Bible study, but they refuse to, be a, to study the Word themselves. But they have the same gifts and abilities and talents, and even the money, but they won't use their resources. They'll use yours. Because they, want, they, loved, they, loved to, they loved to use uh, partake of the fruit of your investment. See what I'm saying? In other words... Uh, E.W. Kenyon was a great teacher of the gospel and he always called people like this, he called them spiritual hitchhikers and he had a chapter in one of his books called The Spiritual Hitchhiker. He says they're, they're babes in Christ and, and they refuse to grow up. In other words, when they need healing, they're, just, they're looking for someone you know, who has a gift or anointing to heal and they will say, well just read this and you'll know how to you know, believe God for, well, I, you know, I just, just pray for me. In other words, I, I'm trying to get to healing, healing town or healing field. Uh, same thing, any, any issue of their life, they're not looking to learn. They're just looking for you to do something and fix that. And be honest with you, I think we're all kind of like that. We, you know, I, I'd rather, I'd rather, uh, I read in the book of Daniel where uh, he prayed a prayer and while he's praying, the angel showed up and and tapped him on the shoulder and said, no, well, here's, he came with the answer why he's praying. I like prayer like that, don't wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be good? Father, in the name of Jesus, would you, 
Well, thanks. <laughs> but, it, I mean, mine don't usually work that way. How about y'all's? Wouldn't that be cool if you could just say, well, in the name of Jesus, and I just end up with in two, uh, and there it is. That's more like a genie in a bottle for such a thing, right? And uh, so these people don't want to grow. They just, they just want to take something from your investment. Um, now, let's talk about some strong people. Are people in the process of becoming strong? And uh, people who are going to disciple people who are ripe for harvest. Can we do that? This is the other side of it. And these are just natural things, but there's the spiritual application is to all 12 points. Uh, these same people, the other side, the reciprocal of it, they don't feel sorry, uh, or they don't waste time feeling sorry for themselves. You know, we, we could... We could come up here next Wednesday night and ask you to come. And I'll say, I'd like for you to tell, tell us your testimony about all the problems that you've had in your life. And we could do that for the next month. We'd have two people a night, probably one person. And just, just tell us about all the things that you're having to deal with and all the problems that's wrong in your life. And you just share that with us. Now, wouldn't we leave built up and encouraged and full of faith? Because I don't care whether, you, you know, if, if you was just born, which, you know, if, you're, if you were, you should be in the nursery right there, but, but, but that was an experience. You know what I'm saying? That would be an experience. Uh, no one remembers it, but, you know, just for the whole birthing process, that would be an experience, right? So, I mean, they would have a testimony. Um, and so, but, but you know, every, what I'm trying to say is everyone has a story. But these people, uh, <clears throat> the reciprocal of this, we don't waste time feeling sorry for ourselves. We could, but we don't sit around feeling sorry about our circumstances and how someone else treated us. Instead, we take responsibility. See, people that you can't help, generally, they'll never take responsibility for their situation. They won't. They got 14 reasons why it's this way. And it's always points away from them. The old saying is if you ever point your finger this way, you got three fingers pointing back at you. Right? So, but <clears throat> uh, people who are strong and moving forward with vision in life, they don't sit around feeling sorry for themselves about how someone else treated them. Maybe on the job, maybe in the home. Instead, they take responsibility for their role in life. And they understand that life is just not always going to be fair, is it? Number two, they don't give away power. In other words, they don't allow someone else to control their life. They don't give someone else power over them, and they don't say things like, my boss makes me feel bad. Because they don't understand that they are in control over their own emotions, and they have a choice in how they respond. So, I mean, I remember, because I was just goofing off in school, and she was right, my teacher in the high school, she was right. I mean, you know, back when I was in school, I mean, it was, you know, I'm not 100 yet, but I'm, I'm just saying, we, we didn't have air conditioning in most of our classes, and she had one of them voices that was just like, nah. I mean, you know, what do you call that machine in the hospital, Barbara? We, and like, nah. And that generally means when it goes like this, you through, right? And she was my sixth period class. And this is, it's hot. And we got, you know, the old windows that, you know, pull down. Some of y'all remember that? And sometimes we had a box fan. And it was usually on the other side of the room. And so she's reading these stories. And I fell asleep in her class, and she got tired of it, so she fixed me. She, she, now, she did fix me. She, this woman was smarter than I gave her credit for. She let me go to sleep. And I was tired. And um, I woke up, you know, school, that's at what, about 2.45? I woke up at 10 till 5. <laughs> Explain that to your parents. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. And I was usually pretty good at coming up with something, you know, just got off the cuff. And I was like, oh, uh, missed a few buses. <laughs> missed a bunch of them. <laughs> You know, you wake up, you're in a, 
it's uh, you know, it's May, school's almost out, it's hot in that room, she's in that, and that high shrieking voice. And, but, but she told me, she said, she said, you ain't never gonna amount to anything. And I said, well, you're wrong, I am. She said, you have no interest in anything. I said, yes ma'am, I do, I'm just not interested in anything you're talking about. <laughs> and I shouldn't have said that, that was disrespectful. I said, I, I, I do have interest. She's over there, <laughs> but I don't have a car, but, but I got a dream. <laughs> anyway, but I would not let her tell me that, that I won't ever amount to anything. <laughs> Number three, p- people who are strong, headed with life with a vision, they don't shy away from change. And most people don't like that word. But mentally strong people do not try to inv- to avoid change. They welcome positive change. You know, uh, James said doers of the word, when they hear the word and they see their life is not in that, he says the, the way you become a doer of the word is you, is you, you read something is like, or you hear it like tonight or someone's ministering and think, you think, well, I'm not doing that. Mm. Now you're presented with a choice. You're like at a forks of a road. You can either do it God's way and have success or keep doing what you're doing, right? So James said, if you don't put into practice what you just heard, he said, you will become a forgetful hearer, right? Well, he said, but blessed is the man who hears and does. Well, I want to be one of the blessed ones, don't you? So the best thing to do is I learned to start coming to church and I'd have me a notebook and I'd have me a pen, whether he or she ever said anything that sounded intelligent I heard that the Holy Ghost was a teacher, and maybe in spite of the pastor, the Holy Ghost may say something to you while I'm sitting there, so I'd have something to write it down with. And that way, it'd be mine. And so, smart people, what they'll do is they they won't resist change. You know, they're they're looking for positive change. And they're they're willing to be uncomfortable to, to, you know, to go to a different place in life. So they're, you write it down, and you say, I'm not doing this, but, but I'm starting this right now. You may fail a few times, and you may forget, and you may get up and fall down, but you say, but, that's, but the Word says, do this, and if God said do it, that means I can do it. Why would God tell me to do something I can't do? So, I, so I'm, I'm going to do this. I mean, Scott, if you don't mind me telling I mean, I mean, just years ago when Scott came to church, you hadn't been to church much in your life, had you? You told me just a handful of times, and... and uh, and you was real young, right, when you went to church. And he, um, he uh, oh gosh, how many years have you been with us now? You, a while? A couple hundred years or so, right? And uh, <laughs> he's like me. He had brown hair when he started. <laughs> and uh, mine stays brown, about eight, about seven, nine, nine. But anyway, and... Uh, I may get tired of doing all that and just let it be what it is. But, but I remember uh, uh, he lived in the Hoover area, and, a, and the guy at the church invited him, and he came to church and started coming regular. And, and then uh, I remember the day when the church was in Clanton. He, I remember the day he walked up to me and he said, uh, he said, Look, he said uh, something to the effect of, he says, uh, could someone here play an instrument? Uh, like uh, he said, I, I can play guitar, and we had one guitar player, but he, he played another kind of guitar. And I said, uh, Yeah. He said, uh, What's the requirements? And well, we had an application to fill out as to what's required to be part of leadership. And I don't know if the, we had that same exact application. We probably was a little bit too strong on it at the time. But uh, but he said, uh, Well, I'd like to play, and and I said, Well. You read the application and the requirements, and if that's that and you can play, then I don't have any problem. We'd, we'd like for you to be part of the team. And uh, so either he'd already looked at it and hadn't told me or whatever, but he said, uh, well, I, I know on there you can't smoke. And I said, no, I can't. can't. Uh, I said, if you're going to be part of the leadership and you're going to be on the praise team and up here, um, no. And uh, teach, nursery, anywhere. And uh, he said, uh, so if I don't smoke and, and I'm doing all this other stuff, he said, can I be part of the praise team? I said, sure. He said, when can I? I said, when you don't smoke. He said, I quit. I said, when? He said, right now. 
<laughs> and I was like, that's the guy who wants to play guitar on stage, ain't it? <laughs> so I've never had no one do that all these years. Just like that, he said, when can I play? He said, when you don't smoke, right? That was simple. He says, well, I just quit. And I said, well, get your guitar and let's go. And it worked out ever since. Of course, if I find him, you know, stick around the barn, I had to get on to him. But that's you know, just kidding. But, <laughs> but you know, um, that's someone who, who wanted more. Whether he agreed with the guidelines or not. I mean, when I went to Bible school, there's a lot of things I didn't agree with. I mean, the Bible school has changed a lot. You know, back then when Matt and I was in Bible school, I mean, you had to, and Jeff was back there, we either had to have a suit, right? And you had to have a tie on, and your hair couldn't touch the, your collar back here. And uh, you had to bathe every day, like not just on Saturday night. I mean, like, like every day. And uh, when you came on campus, the, the speed limit was what it was, and it's like, it was so slow, it was pathetic. And the problem is we got kids that have to be here, 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 and here, and we can't, we, we got to hurry to get them here and then get them checked in and then run across a hundred acre campus to get into Bible school and be there for the bell rings when they take roll. And you can't hardly do that without speeding. You know, that's one, one reason why I felt bad. Oh, I felt pitiful. I mean, I ran into Brother Hagin, knocked the Bible out of his arm and almost knocked him down. Now, I thought, God, let the earth open and swallow me up. Just, it's like when I ran around the corner, it was Brother Hagin, and I knocked the Bible out of his arm. I was like, oh, my God, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and he said, you, you, you need to slow down. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't like all the rules. But they didn't ask me. You know, you ever wonder why the speed limit is so slow somewhere sometimes? Like in Jemison? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know I, but, you know, you go, anyway, just, but they didn't ask us, did they? But the, 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 the word tells us to, to abide by the laws of the land, whether they asked us or whether they didn't. So you, you, you can't get people to agree on everything. You know, when we picked out chairs years ago, well, green's not the only color, obviously, right? You know, I, I was in floor, you know, floor covering business for years. And what, what I dreaded the most is when I had to go meet churches. I'd rather just take a beating and have to meet with churches over, over floor covering. Because I, I knew how carnal it was about to get. It was just pathetic. Trying to get a committee to agree on colors. I mean, it, it just wasn't hardly worth the sale. You know, if you, if you got the sale. And you'd watch things happen. You just couldn't believe going on in church. I mean, I, I went to a church one time that they, they got so upset, they got in a, a fight. And I'm, I don't mean with words. Now, the one, another one, they didn't get, I wasn't at this one, but it happened there. They, the, they had to call the police there. Deacons were knocking each other over the pews back and forth. I said, man, just go with purple. If you, I mean, purple's good, you know. I just, I don't, but... <laughs> I mean, and, and the police had to come out there and separate the people. You think that's carnal? It don't, it don't sound spiritual, does it? So, change is going to be here to stay. But uh, strong people, people with vision, they're willing to be flexible. Because they understand that's inevitable. And, and, uh, and believe in their abilities to adapt. I mean, it, it happens with everyone. I mean, you know, people pick churches for different reasons. There's people who are never going to walk in this door. I mean, I've had people tell me, I, I, I love the church, but I can't stand y'all's music. And I said, that's all right. They said, you know, we, we want to sing the hymns. We don't, we don't want that jazzed up loud. Just, we can't stand that. I said, I, I understand, but they're generally older people, right? Well, I, I grew up with the hymns, did y'all? And we usually had a little choir up there. And then someone, you know, I tell them, hey, bro, so I'm about number 121. It's like, hey, who give me number 87? No. You know, and it just, and I, and I love the Gospels too, a lot of them. A lot of them I don't like because they're just, they're just unbelieving. They hit you at an emotional level, but when you get to reading the lyrics, it's like, dear God, there's nothing about faith in that. That's just, you know, it's just pitiful. But there's a lot of good ones. So we have a lot of folks uh, that say, and they've told me, said, well, you know, we've, we, we would like the ministry part, but 
We just can't get past the music. And there's people say, we like the music. We just can't get past the preacher. You know, it's like, well, I don't know how you're going to deal with that. I mean, I just... <laughs> so, uh, but that's just life, right? I mean, not everybody wants to eat at Jack's. How you know that? Go up there and see if there's anybody at Burger King. Right? Because they have an option. It's pretty close. Right here, right? So if we all go to Cracker Barrel, not everybody wants meatloaf. And I don't want no chicken livers. I don't care how you cook them. <laughs> I don't want no livers. I don't, you say, well, you ain't had my recipe. I, I haven't had your recipe, and it's unfair to you, but I don't want your recipe. When you said liver, you lost me. <laughs> See, but now they, some people can't wait to get hold of the next good plate of chicken livers, right? God help them. I don't understand them. But I just, so we're not all going to agree on stuff like that. But that's just, that's just a little trivial junk, right? And you say, well, why would you cover stuff like this? Because I've learned in 20-something years of pastoring, this is what hangs people up. It's, it, it's, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's, it's what keeps us from growing to be leaders. There's different levels of leadership. And, um, and so, you know, we, we, we want to grow with God and we want to grow as the person that God creates to be. We want to develop the abilities that he gave us. But uh, there's these little foxes along the way. So we don't waste time or energy on things that we can't control. There's just some things you can't control. Mentally strong persons complain over their lost luggage, traffic jams, or the McDonald's left the cheese off the biscuit. And I don't like it. You know, when I, well, one, because you know, you, if it's cheese, you, you paid more for the cheese, right? Until you was looking forward to it. And you go into work and now you're on 65 and you can't go back. And you take a bite in and you realize that's it. <laughs> see, they left my cheese off this biscuit. And see, your day's almost ruined because of cheese that you really don't need. Well, we won't touch that. <laughs> Needs a word I don't really, but anyway. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've done the same thing, too. And the Lord, I remember one time, you know, I, I had a sausage, egg, and biscuit. And I got down the road and had a phone call and all this kind of stuff. And then I finally got to my biscuit, and it was a sausage biscuit. I had sausage, egg, and cheese. And I was just missing the egg and the cheese. And the biscuit was hard. You know what I'm talking about? It was one of the really little ones that they had cooked for four days, probably. And it, and it was like that, and it would hurt your finger. And, you know, I was ready for this biscuit. Uh, Y'all with me? You, you feel You feel it? Uh, and I can't turn back. And some people turn back. And they said, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. But so the Lord told me, he says, uh, he said, are, are you about to have a meltdown? And, and I knew it was him. I was in the car by myself. And he says, are you going to have a meltdown? I says, uh, n no, sir. I, he, he said, you're, 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 you're pitiful. And I said, I, I, well, I know, but I, I wanted that egg. <laughs> I really wanted that egg <laughs> and the cheese. And, and I said, well, but Lord, I, I paid for it. And then he took me into a lot what he paid for. He said, I paid for a lot of things, including people's lives, and I'm watching my creation. Many of them go to eternal damnation, and I paid for their salvation. And you lost what you ate? <laughs> I know that's just a lesson, like a baby lesson. But you see, if we can get tripped over egg or cheese, you know, I guess the worst, and I did have it happen. I don't know, mine was always with biscuits for some reason. Maybe I... That's probably why I started eating breakfast at home. <laughs> hey, have y'all had the new Hardy's biscuits, by the way? This has nothing to do with anything. It's not spiritual at all. <laughs> have y'all seen the new Hardy's biscuit? No. Oh. Um, don't, 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 you have, ma'am? 
It's called the what? Triple? Tri- yeah, say it again. Yeah, but they have a, they have a name for it like a ch- tripology or something. It sounds like a technical biscuit. <laughs> I mean, it has, it has ham, bacon, sausage, cheese egg, and... It, now it's, it, or, or you can get it in the omelet. What time do they close? <laughs> yeah. No, that's not it, Elliot. No. But see, that's got cheese. It's a tripology or tri- triology. It's got three meats. I, we'll take just a minute here because this is important. <laughs> I, am, I am making a point out of this. Oh, suck up, mama, mama, mama. Oh, hey! Now look at that. All right, so it's got on the bottom. It's got ham on the bottom, cheese. All right, sausage. Yes, but now, actually, it's uh, it's it's ham, Uh, American cheese, sausage. Mozzarella cheese, actually the white cheese, egg, bacon, and it's uh, it's like four dollars, or you can get it in a burrito. So I ordered something like that one time, and I got down the road and I couldn't turn back, and they had given me a butter biscuit. <laughs> now, if 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 you went in there wanting a butter biscuit, it's all right, but when you order that. And you get a butter biscuit. <laughs> Life can be difficult. I know these are all the problems people have in third world nations where they have no electricity or running water. And this, I know they struggle with these issues all the time. So people lose over lost luggage or traffic jams, right? Instead, they focus on what they can control. We ought to focus on what we can control instead of what we can't control. I can't control things all the time. I can't control what people do. You know what I can control? My attitude about the situation. That's what I can control. And that gives me plenty to do. Just controlling my own attitude. Number five, we don't need to worry about pleasing everyone. Someone else said, amen. Right? You can't be a people pleaser. You're going to please some people, but you're also going to displease some people. So, so strong people, visionaries, recognize that they don't need to please everyone all the time. We have to be afraid, not, or uh, we have to not be afraid sometimes to say no. No is a word. Sometimes it's not negative. Sometimes it's positive. So, sometimes because your, your personality. You need to say no, but you're, you don't, it's, it's too confrontational, so you just say yes when it should be a no. So you can't be the president of the PTA and run this and 14 other things. And the time you get home, you're exhausted and you have no time for your family and you have no time for your own time of study or meditation because, because you said yes to everyone, then, see what I'm saying? And, and it may be good things. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But, but, you know, I always said there, there's only one letter between good and God. But oh, the difference. You could be doing a lot of good things like Mary and Martha. She was distracted doing many things, Jesus said. But he says, but no, I'm not going to have her come to the kitchen with you. He says, Mary's chosen the good thing. She's going to sit and she hear the word. You say, well, yeah, but, you know, Martha's having to cook for all the men to eat. Well, Brother Copa said that uh, what Martha should have remembered is that Jesus took two fish, a two-piece fish dinner, and fed thousands of people. So Martha said, you can come here and preach and teach and all that. When you get through, you're going to have to do your thing there and multiply this food. I'm going to sit down to Bible study too, but she wouldn't do it. So it made Martha mad that her sister wouldn't get back there and rattle the, paths, rattle the pots and pans with her. So we have to choose, and sometimes by choosing, you have to say No. So it's, it's wise to know what to say yes to and wise to what to say no to. I, I had two or three people call me last month, or I met a guy at a mall and uh, through someone else, and 
turns out he ministers and uh, our pastors in Prattville somewhere. And, uh, and I could tell, he said, oh, I go all over and preach. I just go here and I go there and I do conferences and do all that. He said, uh, matter of fact, we're having a conference next week. And he says, uh, he said, I want you to be one of the speakers. I said, next week. Now, I've known him for, what, three minutes. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. Matter of fact, I met him in Huntsville. I live here. He lives right with met, met him in Huntsville. And he said, uh, he said, matter of fact, I might even give you two nights. I said, I tell you what, why, why don't sometime just in maybe a few weeks, maybe we can get together and have breakfast and get to know each other a little bit, and, and you can tell me what your vision is. And he said, that's not, he said, that's not how I operate. I said, well, what's that? He says, he says see, I, I know it here if it's God or not. I said, well, that's good. I said, well, he must have already told you that I wasn't coming because I'm not. <laughs> yeah. but, but see what I'm saying? But see, I, I, I'm not looking to get in somebody's pulpit. God told me, it's not that it's wrong. I'll be ministering next week in Helena at a convention, but I know the pastor, and we've met, and we've talked, and he's actually a rainbow guy and, and all that. And uh, it's an all-black church, and I never got to do that. I bet they, hmm, I'm going to have me some fun up in there, boy. <laughs> get, yeah, get some of that starch out, boy. And, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. But uh, the more I found out about this guy that I got to know him, it was a really good thing that I didn't go minister for him. And uh, he said, oh, I go all over the place. He said, God puts me in front of people everywhere. And I said, so you pastor a church? He said, yeah, but I'm all over the world. I said, what do you do with the people that you pastor? Well, you know, we got people. You got people. See, that, that don't make sense to me. See, I think of that like a home. Well, I'm a husband, but there's a lot of men in the world. <laughs> yeah, what's your point? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're called to shepherd those people. It doesn't mean that you could never, but see, that was his thing, so he thought it was my thing. I said, no, I, I really don't have anything in me that says I got to be everywhere with a microphone in my hand. And that was so, such a foreign thought to him. You know, so it's just, I said no. All right, over we'll another time. Uh, we don't fear about taking calculated risk. Not, not something foolish. In other words, the Bible talks about counting the cost before you start something, doing some research about it, but there's still risk involved. Still risk involved. We were talking some today. I, I worked for a man for a few years and managed a floor covering store uh, for a few years, three, four years only. And then he informed me that he was going to close that location. And I had a job for 30 days. And, uh, and I had uh, a family. I was 25 years old, 20 uh, 25, 25 and a half. And so I went to a couple places and I could have got hired, but both places, uh, both places re required that I move to that city. One of them would have been Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa, which I now know would have been a God thing, you see, but I didn't know back then. <laughs> but, you know, it's in the holy city over there. But anyway, and they're right, Brother Matt, he's like, amen, amen. Just turn your hat around, brother, just that way. <clears throat> but uh, so I went to the Tuscaloosa and he said oh yeah your experience we'll hire you and I said well could you tell me about the pay he said no it's all commission and I said so you don't have any base salary he says no just if you sell what you make if you don't you don't and I thought well I didn't feel too good about just ripping up my family and trying to find a place to live that was twice the amount the price I was paying for you know and so my dad had been forced to retirement two years before retirement his, his company was moving overseas and they were talking to me about investing their retirement which wasn't a lot and me taking my knowledge and their money and starting a store because this guy was going to close it 
And it was, it was, it was, it was doing business, but it just, he made it his investment. He said, all I was doing is paying y'all. He said, I didn't start another store to pay y'all. I started to pay y'all and me make more on top of that. But it's just, he said, if you want to stay here, you know, it would be a good business for, for a family. So uh, they talked about it and I talked about it and I said, I, I just don't, I don't want to do that. And uh, I mean, I'd like to do it, but I'm not willing to risk your money. I mean, you know, this is, this is your life savings. And I could lose it. I mean, I'm only 25 years old. So that carpet store, but it got started. And it started October of 87. And it's in existence today. And it went through some hard times. I mean, some hard times that I wished I'd taken a job at Sears changing oil somewhere. But there had been so many benefits to it over the years. But it was a lot of, there was a lot of risk. But... We just had peace in our heart to go ahead with it. So, in other words, it was a risk, but it was a calculated risk. In other words, we'll do this, 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 and this. And, uh, and then, but people who don't think like this, see, they're, they're just waiting for you to come through for them. Well, I can't because of this. Well, I'm the wrong age. Or I'm born on the wrong side of the tracks. Or I didn't have enough education. Or I got too much education. You know, I couldn't work there. What do they think if they see me working there? You got a job? I mean, uh, a man came up here a few months ago, and he, he told me he did, he'd been here twice, but he forgot he'd been here two, three times. And he, he drove up in a Lincoln. He needed gas, and times were a little tough, needed a hotel. I knew where he lived, and he didn't need a hotel. He could be there in a few minutes. That means he wanted money from somewhere else. And it wasn't my first rodeo. And so he said, and I don't have, he said, I would like to have lunch. And, uh, well, there's no money stays here. And I had a few bucks in my pocket. And, uh, and I said, well, here, here's enough. And I said, there's, I don't know if you're familiar with town. There's a McDonald's this way, and there's Jack's up here. Have you come in? He says, well, no. He said, no, Pastor. He says, uh, look, I'm, I'm just like you. He said, I'd, 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 I want a good meal. And I said, oh, no. Give me my $6. <laughs> he said, no, I, I want to meet three vegetables and some tea. He said, I, I want to eat like you do. He said, don't you want to eat good? I said, where do you work? He said, well, right now I'm, I'm in between jobs. I said, how long have you been in between? Like forever? See what I'm saying? But, but he wasn't grateful for the gas. He wasn't grateful that someone was offering him a meal. You know, that, that makes you not want to help someone. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, so that's not what people do. That's not who we are. All right, uh, two more, really quick. We don't dwell on the past. Mentally strong people don't waste time dwelling on the past and wishing things could be different. They acknowledge your past and can say what they learned from it. However, they don't constantly relive, relive bad experiences or fantasize about the glory days. Instead, they live for the present and plan for the future. The past is the past. You can't change the past. You can learn from the past, but take a blast from the past and go on. You say, yeah, but I made, well, okay, you made a mistake. Go on, right? Yeah, but I failed three times. Well, I failed more than that. I'm probably the biggest failure in this room. So I so said, what'd you do? I, I ain't telling you. That's right. I always said, I'll cut my grass and you cut yours. You're right. So we're willing to let it go. Uh, the last one tonight. Uh, we don't have to make the same mistakes over and over because we accept responsibility for our behavior, for our choices, for our decisions. We're willing to make more mistakes but we, we decide to be responsible and learn from mistakes so that we don't have to make the same mistakes over and over. In other words, we learn from mistakes. And as a result of that, we don't keep on repeating the same mistakes over and over. Instead, we move on and make better decisions about the future. And this is kind of a, uh, I said that's the last one, but it's kind of a little preacher feel. <laughs> Because you won't, you won't feel good if I don't give you this one. So I, this is more for you than for me. Thank you, sir. <laughs> we don't feel like the world owes us anything. Years ago, I was having a pastor pity 
I'd like to say day, but it was more than a day, to be honest with you. I didn't get the response I wanted. They weren't doing this. They should be doing this. I poured my life into this, and all then no one says this, and they never do that, and they don't. I, no one here has ever done nothing like that, but I'm but but I've done it a couple of times, where you've you're kind of having a, a pity moment. See, I guess the thing about ministry is everything you're doing is at a heart level. See what I'm saying? And when people walk on that. You know, it's different when I was doing floor covering and I put carpet in your, in your bedroom. I mean, I was glad to get the job and we were doing the best job we knew how to do to, to build a company. But it's not like you're ministering life to people. You're praying and seeking God over people's lives and the word to share with them. And then people just walk on that or they don't or they don't say anything. And, and you know, and it's just, I was having some real pity moments. And, uh, and I'll never forget what the Lord told me. He said, um, he said, I am your reward for pastoring, not people. And Keith Moore said something years ago that has stuck with me to this day that uh, serves me well. He said, expect nothing from people. It's not that they shouldn't do things. We should be thankful. We, we do need to encourage people. Everyone needs encouragement. Everyone needs to know that they're making a difference from time to time. But he said, expect nothing from people and be thankful for anything that they do at any time. See, disappointment comes from a failed expectation. You did something and, and you, your expectation was this should be the response for having done that. And then they don't do it. And then anger or offense or whatever sets in, but if you'll just do it as unto the Lord and not to the person, then you won't get your feelings in there so that if it doesn't turn out that way, you're walking around, you know, like a toad frog, you know, and just waiting to explode. So just be thankful for anything that they do. And if they don't say thank you, you're supposed to have done it to the Lord and not unto them anyway. Can you see that? It's a whole different response. It's a whole different way of living. And when you're not, then you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for disappointment, anger, 